World Hockey Report live coming to you on 12 Ounce Sports, Wednesday, May 6th. How's it going? Cody Jansen here. Follow us on Twitter at World Hockey RPT. I'm on Twitter at Janner31. Big show coming up, of course. Joining us to start is going to be Adam Erman Trout, 920. Vashid Adamatsky. That name sounds familiar. Well, his dad paved the way for Europeans defecting, coming over to North America to play Vaclav. Crazy story there. Yes, we will get into a little bit of that. And then at 9.40, it's Chris Faber from Canucks Conville. We'll talk some Ducks. It happens. We're going to get to that. But first off, Adam Ehrmantraut joins us this morning. Buddy, what's up? Not much these days, man. What about you? Just living the quarantine life. I feel like everyone's kind of at that same stage where... It's almost the same routine. I mean, luckily I'm still able to work, so you know, not as bad as some other people's situations. But yeah, every day seems pretty similar. Yeah, exactly. They just kind of blend together at this point. Just all days that end and why. So let's get right into the NHL talk because obviously there is still stuff going on and. I mean, as much as it might not be exciting as a Game 7 Stanley Cup playoffs, there's a lot to be decided. And with the NHL seemingly wanting to go ahead with their season and saying that they're fine to do it without fans, they got to choose four locations. So I want to ask you, what, what four do you think make the most sense for the NHL to host season with no playoff, or with no fans, pardon me? And I mean, they're, they're looking strictly at like TV viewing opportunities and maybe some of the living, but they'll, they'll figure those out, I find. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for me to get around the no fans thing, but just locally, I think you, you'll agree with this one. Edmonton seems to be the top, the front run for everything right now. So Edmonton, um, Toronto, uh, I listened to a Toronto radio show and they seem to be well, less, less hit right now, but it's all, it's all hotels and quarantine and all that. And I mean, Edmonton and Toronto basically both have hotels that attach to the rink and all that. So those two, and then, I mean, other divisions, man, like you're not going to New York anytime soon or, or anything like that. And, Vancouver said something, but I don't I don't know about that. So Edmonton, Toronto before for sure, but after that, it's up to you. I heard St. Louis getting tossed around a little bit. I have no clue how their, you know, situation is down there. But yet again, like if you're watching a game on TV and this is like this is getting right into it, like going through the lighting how it looks, not having a stupid car in the corner like it's the world championship. Like, what rinks do you enjoy? Because, like, there's ones that I think of that are just, like, you know, brutal to watch and with, you know, just dim lighting, terrible camera angles and stuff. And I actually really like St. Louis. I feel like their camera's up a little bit higher or something, and they've got good lighting in the barn. That's definitely a plus. Yeah, um, I like, well, Edmonton's is so brand new, and I mean, the lighting's great in it. Like, I mean, I hate hate San Jose. Um, I don't know. I was, I was almost gonna say St. Louis, but you, you kind of talked me out of that one. Um, Montreal is kind of dark, actually. Like, they don't have any lights on the seat, so it looks like that they're pay- playing in a blackout. Um, but obviously the Islanders, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. What about you? 
No, I, I think that's fair. I actually really do watching games in L.A. I think that, I mean, the, the Staples Center is a very good setup-wise for a fan entertainment aspect. Like, it, it's almost like MSG, where, like, that TV setup was, like, a first thought over the fans. So those are, you know, definitely two of the elite ones. Moving along, uh, Pittsburgh's, their goalie situation. Oh, never mind. I want to ask you about the NHL draft first because that was flying. So it's nutrition and performance question of the week. WNP, you got to go check them out. Do you want to see the NHL draft before the regular season is officially canceled? Or, like, you know, is this an entertainment aspect where, hey, we need something to keep the NHL relevant? Or do you want to see them finish out the regular season and then have the draft either before playoffs or after? Yeah, I, I think it's all entertainment-driven. Um, like, it's all for ratings, right? It's, they're not doing it because it's, it's easiest or anything. I think they're thinking about that because of ratings. And you look at the NFL draft and, like, 16 million people watch that. And obviously the NHL won't do those numbers. But at the same time, it was pretty flawless other than a couple – weird Roger Goodell comments and the the weird nine or ten fans they had in the background and then another problem with that one is that they panned to the guy who just got drafted he was half asleep because he's known it for ten minutes so I think there there's a couple hiccups with that one but all in all pretty good and for the NHL it's it's pretty much to keep them relevant it's I'm sure Sportsnet's pushing for it I'm sure NBC's pushing for it um yeah it's it's kind of tough. I, I know a lot of people would prefer not to because, like, what happens with the, the first-round pick that Vancouver gave Tampa, who gave New Jersey, and what happens to the first-round pick the Leafs gave Carolina, and what happens to the third-rounder Edmonton might give Calgary. So there's there's a lot more um, variables that go into this one. And, I mean, everybody says it, right? Like the, And most NHL GMs, their jobs end at the trade deadline, right? Like, they, they can't improve their team in May or June, so I heard this one thrown around, like, why not have an NHL draft a week after the, the playoffs, right? Like, you know all your seeding, you know, like, who owes who what. Like, the GMs haven't been doing anything for a couple months other than scouting. I think it's more the whole, do they want to wait till after playoffs? Because, who knows? I mean, they haven't even announced a format yet. I still find it hard to believe that they're going to have these teams play up to 28 playoff games in empty rinks because that just, you know, feels like, a, you know, that's going to drag on. It is. It, it honestly is. I love playoff hockey. I love hockey in general. But the fan atmosphere brings such a different dynamic to the game that it's hard to imagine it without it. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I, I do think it's going to great on because like the atmosphere would be the same as like me going to the Gemini right now and and watching like an adult safe game right like that's kind of what I think and, and I've played in like the the Sask Health Center here with 16,000 empty seats and another know, it's, game. like yeah it's just like <laughs> it's, it's, it's whatever and, and all that and I don't know because the atmosphere and a lot of like Lindholm said the Elias Lindholm said the other day he goes the fans are pretty much like what drives the playoffs. Like, are guys going to be getting in scraps in front of nobody? Probably not. No, it'll be different. It'll be, um, 
weird to say the least. And one of the main reasons why I'm against having the, the, the draft before the playoffs or even the regular seasons canceled is, or, or maybe I'd say I'm for it, is if they bring back the regular season, none of these teams are going to want to win. What's the point? If you're in a playoff spot, why would you want to play? Why would you want to win? Why would you want to risk bringing back these players? Like if you're Detroit, you're not dressing Dylan Larkin. You're not like, you're, you're just going to forfeit the games. You're not playing in front of fans. You're not making revenue. It's the stupidest thing ever to bring these guys back for 10 games, meaningless games that they want to lose. They actually want to lose at this point. There's they're They're not benefiting anything from bringing these guys back out of quarantine, out of their offseason, like just just cancel the regular season now because it's pointless for those bottom, I'd say 10 to 12 teams, whatever it is. Yeah, like do you think do you think Drew Doughty's been been going hard these last last two months just cuz he might play an extra 10 regular season games? No, no, not a chance at all. Moving along, you talked to Penn's goaltending situation. I wouldn't say they're in a pickle, but I mean, as you said, Matt Murray and Tristan Jari, you kind of just got to make a decision here. Yeah, Murray's had his struggles. He's also won a couple of cups. You can't take rings off fingers. But um, is there is there a market right now for Murray? Are they best just to kind of let him go to free agency? Well, they're, they're both restricted, so... They both don't have, I guess, a ton of leverage, but at the same time, they're going to get into a similar pickle next next June with the expansion draft. So, I mean, Pittsburgh was the one who got hurt with their goaltending most a couple years ago with Vegas, and it might happen again. I, I think with Murray, you look at past performance and paying guys for past performance. Look at LA right now, and that's a little extreme, but <laughs> Dustin Brown got a lot of money for what he did, and in 2013 or 2014 not what he's going to do in like after the contract right so i think i think murray's been been pretty pretty average the last two years and i don't think it's going to add up to him wanting seven million but for jari like it's it's almost like a bennington contract right bennington won a cup and he got like i think two years of like 4.4 a year so jari hasn't done that i guess he hasn't really had the chance to but like, what would he be, two years at three a year or something like that? So, Jari's a cheaper option, and I mean, I don't know if the Pens have the space to, to pay a fourth guy $7.5 plus with Malkin 9.5, Crosby 8.7, I think Latang's over 7, and Gensel's at 6.5 or 6 or something, so. Jeez, you're sounding like Jerry Krause now. <laughs> Gosh. No, no, it's, it, it's, it's totally fair, and I... I understand what you're seeing i think the biggest thing for the pens and this is why i say you might have to overpay on goaltending just to keep a a solid tandem i'll give them that i'm not going to say matt murray's the best goaltender in the nhl or a top five or anything same with jerry i don't think he's actually proven in the playoffs but their window is closing very quick if not like almost gone where you need the best goaltending you can get, even if that means you're spending a little bit, a bit of extra money. That opportunity to get Crosby, Malkin, Latang back to the Stanley Cup Finals, it's not going to be around in three years. It isn't. I, I don't see it being around in three years. I see their window as a ticking time bomb right now, and they have to do something. Yeah, I think um, 
And the old quote is, I think it was Rutherford who said it, he goes, as long as we have Crosby and Malkin, we're, we're going for it, right? So they got to do something, but at the same time, I think a team would probably overvalue Bat Murray and they could get a lot for him also. That's fair. That's I could see a, a team kind of doing that. I don't know who's that desperate for a goaltender right now. Like I don't see Calgary, you know, opening up their wallets and forking it out. But you never know. Things obviously change over summer. One of the things I didn't ask you about when we talked about empty rinks, and this really brought up a heated debate on Twitter. Adam Ermintrout joining us right now. Raw audio games. And this is something where, no, this isn't going to be streamed on, or, you know, put onto TSN or CBC. But this is something like, it, you know, I don't even know, stream it online, say DAZN or something. Raw audio games where you've just got boom mics around. You can hear whatever the coach is saying. You can hear the players chirping. You can hear whatever you want. Are you, are you for or are you against this? Like, would you pay $10 to watch a game? Like, I mean, I'll, I'll throw out Calgary-Edmonton just because there'd be a lot of extra chirping. But, I mean, would you pay 10 bucks to watch that? Or do you want to listen to the same old Sportsnet announcers? Man, I'd pay $500 to watch that. <laughs> Thank you. I can't but, believe people were against it. Yeah, no, like, I mean, I think in today's age some of the the stuff that would get set on the ice there'd be a a lot of keyboard warriors about now a lot of hurt feelings about some of the stuff that says like it's all it's all within a line but it's also something you wouldn't say to somebody crossing the street right so that's what makes it hockey well exactly and i mean i'd i'd pay a lot of money i've always (laughs) and like it's never gonna happen right but like all, all the best clips are are like the the stadium series behind the scenes stuff and, and Drew Doughty telling Paul Byron he like when Byron's on Calgary and Doughty's wearing the purple and gold Kings jersey he goes slash me again you little effing shit I'll effing f you up and and like I mean that's that's a great quote and it's hilarious and like it's not really mean or anything it's just like it's hockey oh I get it and like some people are definitely gonna get butt hurt about it but like. Even if you have to, like, put it on, like, a 10 or a 15-second delay, 30-second delay, I don't even care. And, like, if someone says something real bad, like, real across the line, then you can, you know, mute it out or something. Like, I'd be fine with that. But in general, you know... But not a chance to the player sign up for that. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. Like, I... Oh, be, be more money for them, maybe. See, there you go. Think money talks, money talks. Okay, last one for you before we go ahead to break. Best hockey movie. And this this was one I was very disappointed. I'll give a quick shout-out to the Morning Skate guys because they're hilarious and they brought this up. But there was so many people who were picking Goon, and I would argue that Goon could be one of the worst hockey movies. So, Adam, i got to ask you, what's your favorite? And probably what, what movie do you, or hockey movie do you hate the most? Yeah, Goon's probably up there. It's not not very good at all. Um, Terrible. I, I I definitely grew up watching watching the, the Mighty Ducks movies. Um, D one, D two, D three. I think D two when they go to the the Olympics or like the Junior Olympics. It's probably the my my well, my favorite hockey movie. Um, Such a Disney slap, guy. Yeah, like like Slapshot's okay. Like I mean. There's not like a ton of hockey movies out there, right? Because they're. Have you seen Mystery Alaska? No, I have. 
Oh, you gotta watch it. Mystery Alaska is the best. Actually, I think I think one of my favorite hockey movies is MVP with the Chimp. Oh my goodness, that that's is that's a good one. That's where we're cutting it off. Adam, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, we're no gonna get pleasure. you on next week, buddy. Sounds good. See you later. It's World Hockey Report live coming to you on Twelve Ounce Sports this morning. Wednesday, May 6, 921 local time up here in the Great White North. Of course, you can go check out my bookie. If you're sitting around looking to maybe cash one of those tickets, mybookie.ag place you gotta go check out. Use promo code 12OZ Sports. They'll match your deposit up to one thousand dollars Joining us now on the line, very special guest. Yes, he is Czech. Yes, I spent a few games there before uh, you know retiring in peace we'll go with that Vashin Adamanski joins us live from Hollywood right now how's it going doing well this morning a little early for me now with all this uh lockdown I've been, been an out at night owl so this is kind of uh early for me but I'll make do and I'm really thankful for having me on we will get into that because I, I have a lot of questions kind of you know with what you're up to now and how the the quarantine you know coronavirus is affecting that but we got to start with i mean your your hockey career your dad obviously vaclav nedmanski you know one of the the true pioneers for europeans coming over to north america defecting to to play the game that really connected so many of us and i remember him i said before you know toronto toros there's that iconic photos of them like that photo shoot and it was it was just so cool to see, and you go, oh my goodness! Like this is all he had to get through to get over here. And you know, everyone thinks of Almo and those guys coming from Russia. Well, you know, one of the the very first was your father, so it's very cool. But for you being a kid, what was it like coming over? And I mean, you know, first off, you get to live in Toronto, which it's a it's a pretty good sized city. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I was born in Bratislava, which is in Slovakia, and uh, that's where my dad was playing for the last 14 years before he defected. And when he defected in 1974, I was only like four years old. So I remember basically, like, you know, they told us we were leaving and we had to be top secret. My parents couldn't tell their parents before we defected. And he was the first one in 74. And after him, there were only 19 other hockey players from Europe that defected. And, um, you know, so it was. He was the first guy, and no one defected for five years after my dad defected, because they tried to lock it down and tried to cover it up because it was, you know, an embarrassment to the communists that one of their star players got away. But uh, we moved to Toronto first. And I lived there for, you know, we had a house there for six or seven years. My dad played for the Toros, went down to Maple Leaf Gardens all the time, and then uh, the kicker was this was the WHA. The team got sold, and we moved down to Birmingham, Alabama, which was another like culture shock coming from a communist country to Toronto, such a big, beautiful city. Then going down south was a real eye opener, to say the least. That's hilarious. So when when you were over here, obviously you were pretty young, but like, do you, do you remember what it was like? Like, were were you guys almost scared? Essentially, like, was there you know, did they send over people to be like, hey, like, oh yeah, go go, like, yeah. I mean, I, no, I they, can imagine that's what it's us. like. Yeah, they were following us. We had phone calls in Toronto. They had people literally stalking us, telling us if we go back now, then everything will be okay. We'll be forgiven. And uh, yeah, we weren't falling for that one. <laughs> so, there was, there was no way we're going back. And the hardest part, I think, for my parents were that they couldn't call back and let their parents know. So my grandparents didn't know we defected. And when we tried to call back,
back. You know, they cut the phone lines. We would send letters or money. None of that ever got to them. So it was real isolation in North America. You know, we, did, we didn't speak English yet. And this is, you know, 1974. So it was a real, it was hard to, to get customized to North America. But my dad had come over so much, so much in the 60s and for the Olympics and for world championships. He had traveled a lot. You know, definitely under like lock and key, they would have secret police traveling with the team. There was no way we could talk to anyone or try and get away. But he knew about North America, so he, he got pretty comfy. But it was definitely uh, a different world. That's crazy. No, that's awesome. That's that's so cool to to kind of hear your experience. You know, being a kid, obviously you see things a little bit different than than your father, but. Um, I mean, I, I want to ask, like, for, for you then, coming over, was it tough getting into to hockey then? Or, you know, was it a pretty easy transition? Like, not knowing English back then, you you were kind of almost like the black sheep, right? Like, you know, you, you're kind of in a different yeah. country. Yeah. Although your dad does play hockey, like, it must have been a little bit weird, especially living down in Alabama, where I can't imagine if oh, they yeah. even had minor that hockey. Was that, was, that was rough. When I got to Toronto, I, I you lived in Don Mills, I played the Flyers. It was my first team, you know, when I was like four years old or five years old when I started skating. And um, I had to learn English and French at the same time. I went to Bayview Glen, which is a school right over there, and they taught English and French half and half. So I kind of learned both languages at once. And, and I just remember every morning, like, hearing the news in English, and then they would do all the hockey sports news in French. So I would get all my scores and figure out who's who and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, so I did, you know, when you're a little kid, you pick up any language pretty quickly and then, um, you know, made some friends. What's really funny, the class that I went to at Baby Glenn, one of my classmates was Elliot Friedman. <laughs> no way. And, yeah. That's so he awesome. He actually DM'd me on Twitter. And he goes, did you go to school, Baby Glenn, like back in, whatever, like 76? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I was your classmate. And I found the photos of us. So I just found that out a couple months ago, which was really funny and really cool. That's unreal. Elliot's awesome. He's definitely yeah. one of the, you know, best in the biz nowadays in the, you know, hockey media world. But moving along, I mean, so you played a little bit at University of Michigan, then you kick it around in the minors. And I mean, when I say oh. kick it, I mean, you made some unbelievable stops. And, and honestly, like, I mean, you must have been a solid player. Like the numbers you were putting up, like, how do you go like a point per game in the American League and like not stick around like what what was it was there a lot of like european bias at that time you know were, were you just the now, softest player ever or what because like i mean you're putting no, up like 200 pims yeah oh no no when i went to michigan i was at university of michigan for four years but i only played 14 games i walked on every year at michigan i was the only kid on the team not under scholarship my dad had already retired from the nhl but that um, obviously there's there was no nepotism red berenson was my coach and um, Legend. He wasn't too keen. He wasn't too keen on Europeans, so he made it hard for me. But <laughs> I do have to say, like, I learned my work ethic and everything else at Michigan because I had to work twice as hard just to get in any game. And then when I graduated, um, I started in the East Coast League. I went through about four teams in the fall to go try out. And since I wasn't drafted, I was never under contract with anyone. That's the reason I had to go and prove myself at every team. And funny story, the first team I played for was the Knoxville Cherokees. I got to the rink, um, I was driving back to, to Michigan because I couldn't catch on with any team. I got to Knoxville, um, they lost that night 10-1 to Toledo. <laughs> and so I waited for the coach, who was Barry Smith, he had played with my dad in Detroit, and I said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'd love to try out or if you have any space for me. And he was so pissed off, they lost 10-1, he 
He said, come to practice in the morning. We're playing in Birmingham the next night. So my first pro game was in Birmingham, Alabama, in the same rink that my dad played when we lived down there. Wow, small and hockey in that, world. In that, first, in that first game, I had two goals and one assist. My first pro Power, game. Yeah. So I think that gave me a little boost to, to realize that, yeah, I could play. Yeah, that's not a bad start at all. And I got to ask because, was it two years in or three years in, you actually went back to the Czech Republic to play Lintfanov. Like, was that like a money thing or how, how did that end up? And I mean, what was your dad's thought on that? Sure. Um, after my first year uh, where I was in Knoxville and I also played in Roanoke, I had you know pretty good numbers and I got to express myself physically, which I never had to before, which was fun. And, um, in one of my first games, actually funny story, I was in, I don't remember where, somewhere in the south, and we were coming up for warm-up, and, you know, I had a name on the back of the jersey, no bucket, running around for warm-up, and some guy in the stands is like, get an ASCII, you old shit, get off the ice and let the young kids play. <laughs> so that was one of my first games. They thought I was my dad, and they were you know, calling me commie and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like, 21, I'm not, you know, I'm just starting out, give me a chance, guys. That's funny. So that was, that sounds like the south. Makes so sense. They, yeah, so they made a deal for me to, to sign a contract. I went back and played a year there, and that really opened up my eyes to, you know, the, the European style of hockey, which I didn't get to play yet in North America. And I really found my legs there. And the next year I came back, um, still not under contract with anyone, but I started playing every year, basically the East Coast, the I, and the A, and I would just get called up and sent back down as guys were hurt. And um, I was lucky enough to, to work hard and, and get some numbers, but I couldn't get an uh, NHL contract out of it, so I had to grind it out for 10 years in the minors. But those are some of the best years of my life. Those are some of the best relationships I've ever had. You know, I got to travel. I, I went to 48 different states to play hockey and, and see the, the world that way. And, you know, those memories, and every guy in the minors will say that the, those memories will be with you forever. It's just such an important, formative time in my life. Oh, definitely makes you grow up pretty quick and, you know, uh, appreciate the little things. In 1997, you were with the Carolina Monarchs in the American League. You go a point per game in, like, 13 games. Did you ever get a sniff at the NHL, or was it something where, you know, they, they, there just wasn't that opportunity? No, I, I didn't have an agent at the time. My dad was scouting for the Kings, but my dad wasn't, like, one of those hustler guys that's like, <laughs> hey, give my dad, or give my son a shot, or do this or that. He didn't. He wasn't built that way. That wasn't how it worked in, in you know, Europe or in communist countries. So I had to do it myself. But that year, um, I did go to the Islanders camp. Um, so I went to the New York Islanders camp in Lake Placid. Uh, started the year there, then bounced around all over the place and just, you know, went up and down. But never had a sniff besides that. that those, I had three preseason games where I had like a goal and two assists. But I didn't have a contract. So you know how numbers go. You, you're not under contract. You're going down. So we'll just keep going down. That's crazy. Got one more hockey question for you. And I, I, well, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Um, what the hell is the PD Pride? <laughs> and, where was, and where was the you know the, the most fun you had playing down in the minors? Sure. 
Uh, PD Pride was a team that was the inaugural season in 97, 98, I believe. And it was the Knoxville Cherokees. They were sold and they moved to South Carolina. And this is like total Kenny Powers. Like we were just off Myrtle Beach. It was just a madhouse. And they had a brand new rink. We averaged like 5,000 fans. Um, that year I became an all-star in the East Coast League. Not and at a big the end deal. of the season I got traded to the, I got traded to the Mississippi Seawolves where the next year we won the, the Kelly Cup in the East Coast League, and I was the captain of the team. So that was really rewarding. And um, Yeah, 24 the, points the in 12 games coach. isn't bad. Yeah, and then the next year I had I had more than a goal a game. So that was kind of cool, which is, I hadn't done that before in the minors. But Bruce Boudreau was my coach there for those two years before he went up and started coaching in the A, and then before he went to the NHL. So that was a real treat to hang out with him. Okay, one more. I, I know I said that was the last one. What was the oh, no, West no. Coast Hockey League like for the Long Beach Ice Dogs? It was um, after my last year in the East Coast League. I was already living in Los Angeles in the offseason for about six or seven years. And I knew a lot of the guys out there, and I wanted to transition back to L.A. Um, you know, I was only like 31 when I retired, but I had, I had three herniated discs in my lower back, and it was just getting really painful and, and probably not safe to keep playing. So I took that last season back in L.A., and, and I was living in Manhattan Beach with Lola Kings, and Long Beach was only you know, a half hour away. So I went there and, and had a really good year there. It was, really, um, it was a nice way to finish up, to be close to home and be able to transition to the next phase of my life. Fair. That's awesome. Vashti Nanomansky, my guest here on World Hockey Report. We've got to get into what you're doing right now because obviously you're in Hollywood. I know you're a big movie guy. What What are you doing right now then? I guess kind of what are, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about what you're working on, but you know what, what have you been up to? Um, well, when I retired in like 2001, I was a film editor already. Like when I was growing up, I was always cutting films and shooting films. And so when I came out to LA, I, I was lucky enough to meet a whole bunch of guys. I went to go play pickup, and the, one of the first guys I met was like Jerry Bruckheimer and Cuba Gooding Jr. And they had a private skate that was twice a week, and I started skating with these guys, and they loved having me around. I'm an, an ex-pro that was really good, especially compared to them. <laughs> and so I made these initial friendships, and I started getting smaller jobs because I just retired. So I was editing music videos, documentaries, all the kind of stuff. And then slowly started editing feature films. And as of now, I've edited 11 feature films. I've worked on films like Deadpool and Gone Girl. I edited Sharknado 2, the best of the Sharknados, mind you. And For sure. uh, as of right now, I'm just finishing up um, a documentary, which is, of course, called Big Ned, about my father. Um, and it just covers our, his whole journey of how he defected, why he defected, and what it was like in North America. And the cool part about the documentary is it's all archival footage. I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame before my dad got inducted about four or five years ago, and I started going through their archives. They have hundreds and hundreds of hours of film that are just sitting on stacks that they didn't, they didn't even know what was there, they didn't know what was on there, and I had some researchers go through and find any footage that my dad was in. And this included the Red Wings, the Toros, the Birmingham Bulls. So the whole documentary is interviews with my dad and his, and his teammates but all the footage is archival old footage that no one's ever seen before, family photographs and all that kind of stuff. That's unreal. Now, one I was told to ask you, and I'll leave it here. This is our last question, pretty much. Saving Stanley. You know, this. I think Greg Wyshynski called it the best I think, mockumentary ever. 
How how did that come about? Yeah. Like, was that something that you like completely thought up or just worked on, or you know, walk walk us through that? Because I think a lot of people don't know about it. That's so funny. I might have to repost that. It's been like seven years since I posted it. But what happened was um, there was two friends of mine. Um, Dino Georgopoulos was the director, and he had followed the cup around. He's working with the NHL, so they filmed the cup all over the country, including Las Vegas and down in Florida. It was when Tampa Bay won the cup. So they had all of the exclusive behind-the-scenes footage. They got to play with the cup, like when behind, you know, in the locker rooms during the game. They filmed all this stuff, and they had about a hundred hours of footage. And they were like, they tried to cut it. They tried to make a narrative film. They tried to make a documentary. They didn't know what to do, so they came to me, and I said, "You got to have, you got to make a half and half, like make a mockumentary. Pretend that you guys stole the cup. You have all the footage. You can shoot all the little pieces you don't have, and you can create this amazing mockumentary." So I created that trailer from scratch and everyone just loved it. They were like, oh my God, I want to see this movie. Problem is, which happens all the time in Hollywood, the creatives behind it, no one could agree on what the movie should be and no one had enough money to move forward. So all that footage still lives there. I mean, it could be done. If I had access to it, I would have made that film like the the trailer displayed, you know, to have this mockumentary and have the most exclusive footage of the Stanley Cup and locations that anyone's ever had access to. Oh, that's for hilarious. Oh, it's it's hilarious though. I mean, if people haven't seen it though, you got to go check it out. It definitely is. I I mean, I can't say it's one of the the best because I haven't seen too many. But every time I see it, puts a good smile. I mean, you can hear what the experts and other people are saying. Vashi, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate this. I know we could talk for hours about uh, life in the oh, minors, yeah. your father, and all that. So maybe we'll have to have you back on this summer. Anytime, you know, my, my pleasure, Cody. Thanks for having me on. Vashi Edmanski, our guest on World Hockey Report. Wow, what a life that guy has been through. I mean, I'm excited for Big Net. That's going to be unbelievable to watch. If you haven't heard of the story of his father, I mean, there's millions of articles out there. you got to go read them, but the documentary is going to be unreal. All right, we take a break back after this. we got Chris Faber coming on to talk, to, talk some Canucks. It's World Hockey Report, coming to you live on 12-Ounce Sports. It's World Hockey Report live, coming to you on 12-Ounce Sports. Cody Jansen with you here this morning, Wednesday, May 6, 942 local time. Coming to you on 12-Ounce Sports, show brought to you by MyBookie. Of course, use promo code 12OZSports, and they're going to match your deposit up to $1,000. That's promo code 12OZSports on MyBookie.ag. All righty. I mean, we had to talk some Canucks. We knew it was coming. Chris Faber joins us now. Buddy, how's it going? Happy to have you back on again. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. It's good to talk to you, man. It's pretty awesome uh, being able to talk sports to anybody right now during the quarantine for sure. Oh, I, I mean, can't wait for hockey to come back. It's been, it, it's weird. It's almost like something that you never expected to happen in your life is happening, right? Like, you're like, oh my goodness. There's actually no sports. Like, even if there was no hockey, I can find something else on. But there's nothing, nothing at all right now. Yeah, it's too bad because, you know, you get to that part in the summer where you're like, oh, there's no more hockey, you know, I'll just tune into baseball. And baseball is normally that, like, getaway, you know, where there's, like, a noon game or a 3 o'clock game, and it just kind of wastes away the afternoon if you need to do that in the summer. But there's nothing right now, you know? So it's like, what are we doing with our lives? Like, we actually have to go outside and, like, get some fresh air and stuff. It's a weird time. 
Now, you're out on the West Coast, the best coast, as I call it. Love it out there. Unbelievable in Vancouver area. What's What was your thoughts on the Canucks, you know, regular season, start to the season, whatever you want to call it? Because I think they, you know, beat expectations for a lot of people this year. Yeah, they, I think they definitely did as well. And, you know, the, the thing going into the season was that Jim Benning wanted to push for a playoff spot. He went out and traded a first-round pick for JT Miller, so that was kind of full-on. I mean, they go out and sign Tyler Myers. Like, this team was committed to trying to get in the playoff spot, and a lot of things went right for the Vancouver Canucks this year. Jacob Markstrom had a, a season that, you know, some people would argue was up there for the Vezina, maybe not the winner, but definitely one of the candidates for it. And, you know, Quinn Hughes steps in, has an incredible rookie season, Elias Pedersen takes another step. A lot went good for the Vancouver Canucks, and then they go out and add Tyler Toffoli just before the trade deadline. And it really seemed like they were pushing absolutely for a playoff spot. And it's strange because if you look at where the team is in their rebuild, if you want to call it that still, you know, they're, they're still just on a bubble team. And a lot of things went great for the team, but they're still just on the bubble of a playoff spot. So they went all in. Uh, it seemed to work out for them at a decent point. I mean, the team had some incredible highs this year. Uh, had a couple lows as well, but, I mean, they had a great home record. Um, and it would have been fun to watch this team in the playoffs because they're just starting to turn the corner from, you know, the horrible days that we've seen over the past couple of years to an actual team that should be able to compete in the playoffs here. Oh, exactly. Before we get into the goaltending stuff, because you actually brought that up, and that's a great point that I want to pick your brain about. This is our What's Nutrition and Performance question of the day. Big guest Chris Faber on right now for WNP. It's round one in the playoffs. Everyone doesn't know how they're going to actually seed it right now, but would you rather, if you're a Canucks fan, are you rather wanting to play Edmonton or Vegas in that first round? Yeah, I think uh, I think 100% of Canucks fans would agree with me that we do not want to play Vegas. <laughs> the Canucks have had a horrible record ever since uh, Vegas came into the NHL against them. We've had some horrible blowout games against that team. It's just something about Vegas that doesn't go well with the Vancouver Canucks. It's almost like the Vegas flu is a real thing when you know the Roxy flu was a thing almost. for so long over here in Vancouver. Uh, but I think Edmonton is, is actually a decent matchup for the Canucks. I think the Canucks win in the goaltending department there. Uh, I think their defense in Vancouver can move the puck a little bit better than that Oilers team can. And, I mean, the big guns in Edmonton, when you look at McDavid and Dreisaitl, and, you know, Vancouver's been, you know, throughout the season done a pretty good job of shutting down that line because Bo Horvath is now just used in a complete matchup role. You know, that line with, um, with Tanner Pearson and maybe Josh Lebo going into the playoffs, that would have been a line that would have been out there for every minute of McDavid's ice time. And it would have been nice to see them match up because they did have a pretty good season uh, against that big two in, in uh, Edmonton over there. That's unreal. Different way to look at it than I would see it. But, hey, I appreciate the breakdown. Um, okay, you said the <laughs> goaltending. What do you want to see with the goaltending future? I, I've heard from multiple people from out west now, and I keep getting different answers. I mean – is, you know, with the expansion draft coming up, I think that that's one where Demko or Markstrom, you are probably on the way out once it gets to that point. What do you think? Like, do they try to lock up Markstrom on a big deal? Like, you know, is it something where you, you kind of just say, alrighty, Demko, we're going to need you to be the guy, and that's that's it? Or well, what's your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's tough because you, you got to see a little bit of a run from Demko at the end of this year when Jacob Markstrom went down with an injury. Uh, and if the world didn't flip on its head, we probably would have seen another month of Thatcher Demko being the starter, and that would have been a better sample size to see what the future could be like with him. Uh, but Jacob Markstrom, and you know, I kind of touched on it when I first came out here and mentioned what Jim Benning's been doing with this team, and he's kind of invested in a playoff mentality in the near future here with going out and making those trades and signings and stuff. So uh, it wouldn't 
every year almost, and I wonder what a contract would be like for him because this was kind of his breakout season, I think. He won a lot of games for the Vancouver Canucks uh, single-handedly, and that's something that he hasn't really done in the past. He's, he's kind of groomed himself into that one, number one starters role now in the NHL. So I'd like to see him. He's 30 years old right now. Thatcher Demko at 24 would probably also like to see an opportunity to, to play in to become a starter. So it, it's definitely an interesting situation. Just to, to throw the cherry on top, you got Mikey DiPietro. Tore it up in the AHL this year uh, with the Utica Comets, so he, he might be in the equation in a couple of years. But um, I do think they're going to sign Jacob Markstrom. Uh, Thatcher Demko will be uh, an RFA after next season, so you know maybe one of those guys is exposed in the expansion draft. But I don't think Markstrom's contract uh, is going to be one that um, keeps him out of the expansion draft. I think he's going to be protected during that. So. If I had to guess right now, I would guess that Thatcher Demko might be gone at the expansion draft. But it's too bad because I think that kid's got a lot of potential and he's just improved every single year. You've always been high on Mikey, eh? That's that's something that's never <laughs> changed with you. I like it. Hey, stick to your guns, man. You got to do it. You got to stand for something there. I do enjoy that. Um, okay, I mean, you got the Canucks convo going on right now. What a shift. I mean, you know, we've... I don't know, probably talked hockey for the past two, three years now, and now you've got Canucks Convo going, which I don't even think it's just the, the West Coast. I mean, this is Canada. This is the states that you're reaching now, and it's becoming huge. Like, what what's it like for you now being able to to take something like this and you're, you're hitting a really a, a niche market, honestly, where it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go cover hockey in general. Like, you are digging into the Vancouver Canucks. You're talking to the experts. You're talking to players. You're getting all this inside information on, you know, a weekly basis, if not more. You know, how's how's that been for you and seeing it take off, honestly? Yeah, it's been pretty cool. Uh, seeing that we were, like, top five hockey podcasts in Britain was just something that shocked me the other week. Uh, but we do actually have a lot of listeners over there, which is kind of cool. And, um, yeah, like, it's funny for people that don't know, like, I've known you for a few years now. You came on the original podcast that I broke into podcasting with, um, and they ended up letting me go from there. So now I've, I've created my own kind of thing, and, and it's been, you know, very successful. I was just looking at it the other day, actually. I sent out the tweet, and I was like, uh, who would be interested if I decided to start up a little podcast, maybe talk to some people on Canucks Twitter, and, and went from there? Because Canucks Twitter is just an absolute animal in its own. <laughs> Uh, and the show just kind of grew from there. And, uh, you know, it's gotten to the point now where I am kind of fully investing my life into trying to do this as a full-time job. I mean, like we talked about before we went there, going to BCIT in the fall, uh, in the radio arts program. And it's been just a blast, man. Like some of the people here in this market that are, you know, at TSN and Sportsnet and on the radio stations have been so helpful. All the bloggers uh, are so supportive here uh, in Vancouver. And we have, you know, about 100 of them. So it's uh, it's been great to kind of chat with everyone and be able to build some relationships with some uh, great people and uh, just want to keep continuing to grow the show. Obviously, you can find that anywhere you can get podcasts. Canucks Convo with Chris Faber. Check it out. Our guest here on World Hockey Report. Now, you had Ray Ferraro on a while ago. Unbelievable show. Who's been your favorite guest? Doesn't matter, player, you know, analyst, blogger, yeah. whatever. Who's been Who's been one person who you're like that was just an unreal conversation that I think everyone's going to enjoy? <laughs> I was uh, I was a little shocked by the confidence from Brogan Rafferty, who uh, who was a college free agent who plays in the minors last year, was an all star in his rookie season. Uh, his confidence was was off the charts, man. I think that he's going to crack the NHL next year with the Vancouver Canucks. I think he's going to push to get on the second power play unit. He's a guy that, that moved the puck so well, um, and he's just a guy that really shocked everyone this year. Coming in as a rookie out of NCAA as a senior, 
uh, 24-year-old rookie in the AHL, tore up the league, you know, leading in defenseman scoring in the AHL. The guy was unreal. Uh, and just hearing that, like, I when I when I hear from a player that played all of his years out in the NCAA and then jumps into professional hockey, you know, this guy's not been drafted. You've never, you've never really gone through training camps with teams or anything, and he just comes in with this confidence, and I absolutely loved it. Uh, that was definitely the best player that we've talked to, and I expect him to be on the Canucks roster, but... Uh, through and through, it, it's, I've been saying this for, for years now, the, the best conversation I ever had on the show uh, was with the late and great and amazing and best ever, Jason Bosford, uh, who passed away this past summer. Um, he was he was the best interview ever. He was the reason that the show got a lot of listeners. Uh, he came on in episode five when I had, you know, 20 or 30 listeners on the show. Uh, and from there, just, you know, hitting hitting like 800 listeners the next day, I was like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is so great. Having the conversation with him, uh, in part of that conversation, like I think I went on a little bit of a rant. Funny thing is, it was Coach Thatcher Demko. Uh, he mentioned, he was like, wow, we should do a radio show together. And I was like, wow, to hear that from Jason Bosher, who's been my hero and my idol uh, as I've been trying to do all this kind of content, uh, it was pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, he was by far the best conversation that I ever had on the show. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, loved his work. That's, uh, you know, sad. Terrible, terrible. There was nobody better. Oh man, that's uh, that's crazy for sure. Um, let's let's move to something else. I mean, quarantine life. Actually, no, I gotta ask you, shotgun Jake. I, I don't know what the hell that is. I I mean, I've seen it now for I don't know past year plus or whatever. I see all these people <laughs> out west. I mean, is it every time Vertanen scores that they're just you know taking a shotgun and a beer? What what is that? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a lot of fun every time Jake scored a goal. But the tough ones were the uh, the Sunday 10 a.m. games. <laughs> you know, you look in the fridge and all you got is a tall boy hanging out there, and you're like, oh, here we go after a rough Saturday night. But uh, yeah, every time Jake scored a goal, like Canucks Nation wants to get behind him. He's a local kid. He's from Abbotsford, which is just down the road uh, from Vancouver. So I mean, people wanted to support the local kid, and it kind of came about uh, on TSN 1040 radio station where they said like, oh, maybe we should do you know like something where we have to do an advent calendar every time Jake scores a goal uh, and it actually came up from people like texting in and, and tweeting into the show and they're like it should be everyone drinks a beer every time Jake scores a goal and then it kind of evolved like a week later or actually I think it was just happening during the show and they're like no you can't just drink a beer that's kind of lame you got a shotgun a beer and then I think like it was quiet on the air for a few seconds and then it's just like shotgun Jake and from there on it just blew up people fell in love with it uh, and the goal was to get Jake Vertanen to score 20. And uh, that's just been horrible because having the season cut short, uh, Jake Vertanen is sitting with 18 goals uh, after 69 games, which is you know a nice amount of goals for him. But at the same time, it would have been nice to see him get to 20. That's hilarious. I had no clue. Like, I, I just see it all over like social media, right? <laughs> and you're kind of like... Like it's it's cool, it's funny, but like I actually don't know the backstory to it. So that's awesome. I'm moving along into quarantine life. We've got a couple more minutes here. What's it been like? I mean, are you watching The Last Dance like everyone else, or what? Like you're not afraid of other sports? No, absolutely not. I mean, just hearing that, and you know, I've seen a lot of poll questions out there, like who would be the next athlete you might want to see a documentary like this about? Because this is just this is unreal television. I haven't seen the last two episodes yet. Oh, you're missing like, out. Saving him for yeah, for a midweek kind of like slowdown. I feel like today might be the day, but I've just been writing and podcasting a, a ton over the past couple of days. But today seems like a good one to get fully caught up. And uh, yeah, like I, I was thinking that like seeing those poll questions stuff, like who do you think would be the other athlete that you'd like to see like the documentary of? Because the guy I was thinking of was Tiger Woods. Like if they were to do this type of show with Tiger Woods, there's so much, so many storylines behind him and his career. 
Yeah, I don't know if you could put that on ESPN, though. That might be yeah, <laughs> another one. I don't know. There, there's so many different, you know, players, athletes that you'd you'd love to see. I mean, I I think of Mario Lemieux as probably one just with his journey. Like not like not anything against Wayne Gretzky. I think that would be awesome as well. But like Mario was a player that I always fascinated. Like I was always fascinated by, just with his whole journey. You know, his whole battles that he went through to you know be the hockey player he is and i mean he's a legend in my mind yeah i completely agree and the comeback story from him and then you know even like handing off the reins to Sidney crosby there's a lot of storylines there in mario so many so many who's a hockey player you'd want to see then oh man you know like with hockey it'd be interesting because the, you, you depending on the what era you would like to see like obviously uh wayne gretzky and mario are, are a couple of great choices but um yeah, man, if I had to think of a player, you know, I think that someone like Todd Bertuzzi would be an interesting one, obviously, here in Vancouver. Uh, there's a lot of drama with him. I think that hearing the story, like, he's won over fans a lot uh, in the past couple of years, and uh, I'm probably a little Vancouver biased saying Bertuzzi, uh, but I think that, you know, Theo Fleury would be a very interesting oh, yeah. one for that at the same time. It's like, you know, that story's been told in a book. Uh, I wonder how different they could do it on a documentary, because I just feel like documentaries hit a little bit more of a wider audience than anyone can tune in and sit down for 45 minutes and watch an episode uh, i'm in the camp of you know it's hard for me to sit down and read 200 pages in a couple hours <laughs> oh it's it's crazy i mean i love reading books so yes I, i've read them all but i mean there's so much that goes on with uh theo and all that and actually i mean you mentioned documentaries and stuff i just had vashi adamanski on his dad was vaklov adamanski one of the first europeans to defect over to north america and play you uh-huh. know wha nhl all that stuff absolute legend and his son's actually doing a documentary on his dad called big ned that's going to be coming out here soon i do <laughs> believe going to be unbelievable i mean it's, it's crazy to think about like the stories, I mean, him him saying, like, they couldn't even tell their parents, like, you know, they couldn't even call back to Czechoslovakia. Like, wow. it's absolutely insane. Already, we've got about a minute. i got one more question for you. you got to give our <laughs> listeners here a Netflix recommendation. We make everyone do that during quarantine time. Okay, I know that you said Netflix, but... Uh, I, I or docu- doesn't, have doesn't have to be okay, Netflix. Doesn't have to be Netflix. So I'm on Amazon Prime. Uh, I've been watching some British TV, some of these uh, trash British TVs out there. <laughs> Uh, TV shows like uh, I've been watching Love Island. Uh, the British Love Island is absolutely hilarious. Hearing the way that uh, that you know the couples are interacting with each other, the way that the boys are calling the ladies like a couple of sick birds and all that stuff. That they, the way that they talk is absolutely hilarious. And just watching them wheel each other uh, in that British accent is just it's just great TV. Man. That's hilarious. There you go. That's your suggestion, Chris Favor, our guest. Chris, buddy, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it as always. We're definitely gonna get you on. I mean, hopefully before playoffs. Let's break down a Canucks playoff series once that's coming on. Yeah, sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on, Jenner. Have a good one, buddy. Chris Favor, our guest. There. That's gonna wrap it up. World Hockey Report, May sixth. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Big thanks, Vashti Edmanski, Adam Erman, Trout, and Chris Faber for coming on. Unbelievable stories. Pete Powerplays is next. This has been World Hockey Report on 12 Ounce Sports. 